0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Podcast of the Nerd, I'm Ian, it's Monday, how are you handling it? Um, As well as I am? If so, I'm sorry. I've been uh, taking various and sundry stabs at uh, what I was going to talk about today, But kept finding myself falling into that rabbit hole of, uh, Control-T Twitter, Control-T Reddit, Control-T Twitter. Um, I was definitely procrastinating enough for fear of not having anything to share with you today. And I instead turned and, uh... Today, I think I even made a playlist of the soundtrack of songs I've uh, used on YouTube over the years. Some of them, anyway. Which, hey, you know, that's an okay project. That's okay. But um, that is not uh, what today is for. Link in the show notes to that, by the way. Um, I suppose that unless I accept the fact that some weeks there just isn't going to be a ton to talk with you about... Uh, I'm going to end up reading you my grocery list in order to have something to chat about and I almost fell asleep saying that sentence. Best not to force it. Life is a little on the slowish side at the moment. We're all home. It is what it is. Um, If you're watching the visual portion on YouTube. You may notice things look a little bit differently. I am now moved. Uh, uh, most of last week was spent uh, moving and adjusting to my uh, roommate who are now finished finishing the basement. And um, I now have an office, which I'm quite excited about. I'll tell you about that a little bit later. So um, to that end, let's just keep it simple this week. Today on the podcast, I thought I'd um, update you on the goings-on of the past week. You know, the resolution cast. Um, This week, Jack and I got back to our List of Shame movie project, and we watched Rocky Horror Picture Show. I had never seen it. Uh, You know, you see shots from it. But that doesn't really prepare you for the fullness of the Rocky Horror Picture Show movie. Uh, I'll tell you about that. And then we're going to continue with our fanfic reading uh, Here is Gone by Terry Boda. Depending on uh, record time today, I'll either do one or two chapters from that. All right, so updates on the past week. and We'll call it an informal uh, resolutions update. Last week, I let you know that I had decided to quit drinking. As of today, it's been about two weeks. And as I mentioned last week and kind of expected, it's been pretty straight forward. Kind of annoyingly so, actually. Actually, no, wait, no, I'm not complaining about how uh, easy or rather straightforward it has been to stop my vice. Uh, that is not the case. But, um, you know, again, I, I, I was on enough of a tear before I made the decision that the only thing interesting uh, so far about quitting, if there is such a thing, uh, that can be applied to that, is, um, a day or two afterwards, I, it got to be around evening time, which is when I personally tend to start thinking, oh, I should have a glass of wine or 12. And, uh, I thought about a glass of red, and I swear I could taste it in my mouth, um, was bizarre, uh, but that was the closest thing to a craving I probably had. Thing is, like we talked about, in the two years of leading up to this, I took enough time away that I learned I can stop. It's just staying stopped that is going to be the issue. It's not the uh, the putting down that, but the staying down. Um, that for me means the challenging days are yet to come. Three-month marker is going to be a big one, six months a year. Again, everyone's relationship device is different. This is just the journey of mine so far. But um, the the problem is not the day-to-day. The problem is going to be when I start thinking, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, But we'll get there, one day at a time. Anyway, um, Quitting has already jump-started a fresh bout of weight loss. And I'm not talking about the beard. I'm now down 30 pounds since the start of the year. I don't know what that is in kilos or stone for anyone not in the States. Uh, Because of the quarantine, the 10k that I was using as the carrot for my run training has been delayed until November. I've been doing some VR fitness things like Dance Central, which is a lot of fun. I secretly wish I was an awesome dancer. And uh, VR Boxing in a game called Creed. But I miss m- running and want to get a couple of runs in this week. Now that the move is over and things have settled down a little bit. And a friend and I s- decided to start this try new things every month challenge type of deal. We made a list of 20 ideas we had for uh, month-long challenges. And then um, picked at random. Th- some of them were... Well, they were interesting, that's all I'll say. Um, but everything from meditate every day, to which I want or am trying to do anyway, to other stuff. Uh, but the, one, the, the two we picked for this month are um, the 100 push-ups challenge. The goal is by the end of 60 days, I think it is, to be able to do 100 push-ups in a day. I have tall man desk arms. Um, for some reason, I uh, my genetics the way they were. I ended up with very strong legs, but weak noodly upper arms. And I'm six foot three, which is a big lever to uh, be lifting up. So I'm doing the knee down variety. No shame. Um, any upper body work, any exercise, I consider a good thing. So. Uh, we're doing that. And the other thing that we selected, the other challenge we selected was he wanted... His, this was his suggestion. Uh, Ryan wants to do five-minute mantras a day. So five minutes of reciting a mantra. I just um, installed an app that gives you a, a random mantra every day. And so far, um, the way it's working... I mean, I'll... Uh, I, I talked to him and I thought maybe I'd have him on so he and I can have a conversation about the effectiveness of the things that we try each month I think it would be interesting and uh, but the thing I noticed about the uh, you know I'm I'm very cynical I, I've uh, about kind of um, things that even give off a hint of new agey or or any of that um, no No offense intended, of course, to anyone who um, partakes, but for me personally, it was, you know, my uh, my mom's very new-agey and growing up in the house together, it was uh, challenging interaction. You know, if you're, it it, it was like, my dad played the piano uh, my entire life growing up, which pretty much guaranteed that I was not going to play the piano. Maybe it was one of those kinds of things, the rebellious kid, annoying, whatever, and here you are as an adult, just sort of uh, living the baggage that you created as a kid without really being conscious about it. But either way, the thing I've noticed about the mantra stuff so far is uh, we're just taking five minutes and sort of, I'll, I'll give you an example of, I did it today, the mantra was, my work leaves me stronger and happier at the end of the day. And you just say that for five minutes. And what I'm noticing is it's very much like meditation, except for uh, like breathing meditation. Except instead of focusing on your breathing, you're focusing on the mantra for five minutes. So there's some benefit there. I just wonder if it's transference from um, from the just the same kind of benefit that I would get from uh, breathing meditation. But the other thing is, you know, cynicism aside, I I, I do believe that, you know, our minds are uh, programmed to follow, you know, we, we sort of build up familiar brain pathways that we travel over and over and over again. And if you're kind of a neurotic like myself that catastrophizes and, you know, doesn't trust a good thing when it happens... Um, There's a benefit to a gratitude journal, you know, even if it feels kind of arbitrary, taking a little bit of time during the day to think about three things that I'm grateful for forces me to create the path those more positive pathways, or at least to practice the act of being non-automatic about how I think about my life, right? So rather than being the neurotic and the fearful and the anxious and so forth, taking a little bit of time to create new pathways and practice them that feel more positive. So maybe there's some benefit in the the whole mantra idea to that. Uh, <laughs> of course I suck the magic out of it. <laughs> anyway um so that's on the health front sent a couple of messages on the dating sites as the kids say but i'm shy so we're not going to talk about that this week maybe that's maybe next week maybe you know big thing this week was i reached out to my friend lani from chipperish media and we started cubicle buddying what is cubicle buddying you may ask it's uh nothing implied um I've been working from home for a number of years, and the biggest issue that I run into is just distraction. If I could have any superpower, it would probably be the ability to create any new habit that I wanted to from scratch and at will. But I get distracted by social media, crap on the computer, a bathroom break that turns into an hour of hearthstone on the tablet, you know. And without an environment of productivity, no deadlines, no boss, no co-workers, so forth, it's just so easy for the day to devolve into mindless and distracting wastes of time. And even knowing that, it's still a battle that I fight on the daily. And maybe this maybe this isn't. I know there are a lot of people that are currently dealing with the... Um, Experience of working home for the first time working at from home for the first time um, So maybe this can be a benefit one of the methods I personally developed for, Personally, it sounds like I invented something. That's not really the way I I uh, mean it but one of the things I started doing to combat my own penchant for distraction was the world's most boring live streams Anyone who wants to hang out and watch me edit can do so. But it creates a natural reason for me to keep my focus and attention on the screen. There's an audience there. The bosses are watching. And it works. Family, the last video I did, was 26 minutes long. 26 minutes is a lot. Um, And I edited it in pretty much a record time without the speed that I got it done in showing in the video, I think. There are a couple of fr- flash frames, but those are also in my best videos. There are flash frames throughout the guide. Um, but anyway, a variation on that idea is cubicle buddying. So Jack and I do it sometimes. You fire up your video chat of choice, chat for a moment, set a timer for 20 minutes, and you both mute yourselves and crank on individual work you've been wanting to make headway on. Timer goes off, take a five-minute chat break, then set 20 minutes on the timer and go again. And for some reason... It works. Uh, where... I'm usually very scattered and, you know, the control-T, control-T, control-T. it, and get off Twitter, closes the Twitter tab. Opens a new tab, control T, Twitter. Um, For some reason, it works and helps me stay focused and cranking on whatever the thing is I need to focus on. And this week, Lonnie and I did about two hours of cubicle buddying. She's been wanting to get writing on her own book, and I have not been great about touching the story she's coaching me on. So we did. And I finally picked up the story that I started about the same year I did the YouTube channel when I was doing some self-searching and throwing a bunch of things against the wall to see what stuck. And as I mentioned on the podcast where Lonnie guested, and we talked about this project, the story has been stuck in my head ever since I put it down because I wrote... I don't know... Um, 100, 120 pages on it. But because I'm using the act and uh, scene structure of Romeo and Juliet, I blocked out with index cards every scene in the story. The plan was to gender swap uh, the main characters, and Annika uh, was the lead. Ani tags along with her friends to a costume party at a rich house where she meets John, short for Jonas. Uh, I don't know if I can use that now, because the Jonas Brothers weren't a thing, I think, when I first came up with that, although that could be a joke in the story. I go by John. Um, there's a whole lot of Buffy derivative inclusion in the original idea. Some psychics, uh, some time manipulation, yada yada yada. And slowly, the way these things—I ha- think I worked on it for a few months—and the way these things happen when you start with a bunch of ingredients from other sources and cook them up together, a kind of unique flavor was starting to emerge. I would never say it's good, but that's not really the point. Um, I, and then I put it down because I started pouring myself into writing scripts for the channel. But the rub was, it was good for me. That's what I was trying to say. I would never say it's good because who the hell's first book that they ever tried to write is going to be good. That's not the point. The point is just to do it and to experience it for yourself and to try and entertain yourself and make something that you enjoy. And then to learn the lessons and go again. Um... That was what I meant to say. Not that it wasn't good. I'm trying to... Negative self-talk, people! Jeez. Anyway, um, I put it down because I started putting myself into scripts for the channel. But I put Ani through some terrible things. And I never got her all the way through the story. I'm a casual Shakespeare fan, but I really hate Romeo and Juliet. The suicide thing based on coincidence. Romeo is a big whiner. Um, so I was altering the story as I went along and I've always wanted to go back because in my head, uh, Ani feels alive and her story unfinished. It's like a show I didn't get to finish watching. And, um, I always felt like she deserved an ending, but the big intimidating task ...that I was putting off was opening all that work I did seven years ago... ...and figuring out if I was going to keep any of it or jettison all of it. Um, But I dug into it with Lonnie this weekend. I'm going to keep some of it. uh, But digging into the structure, the events that led to the start of the story, the curse... ...I started to get excited again. Um, Because again, the whole point... I mean, my whole approach to having any success in making things is making something that entertains you. And um, that's the only thing you have control over. And, and And apparently, I was having some success with that. So, you know, for my own sake, um, I'm looking forward to getting back into it. If I can just, if I can just, if I can just master time management, I can do all these things I want to do simultaneously. Speaking of, I cracked the script for Shindig on Saturday, and I'll be picking that up again tomorrow on the um, Live Tweet channel Chances of a video by the weekend? Slim, but I'm always going to try um, Thinking about the writing I was once I made my hobby my job with the channel. I realized I Still need some hobbies um, So it was nice to pick this one up. I have a lot of to do writing-wise before Lonnie and I meet for the podcast in May and I'm about halfway through Buffy season eight uh, the comic books I Couldn't secure myself a copy of the library version of the there's there's four big hardcover library versions or there's all the tiny graphic novels and I um, uh, I couldn't find the one for the first one, but I'm through the first one, and I'm now in the big hardcover print for the second one. Again, just struggling to maintain the daily habits and get it done. But, uh, anyway, that's enough of that. So, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah, Uh, Jack and I got back to our list of shame project this week. I talked to you last Monday about To Kill a Mockingbird, and uh, so the way we've been doing it is Jack and I roll three random picks from a list of 250 movies that we generated from IMDb Top 20 by genre, the AFI Top 100, the AFI comedies, um, so on and so forth, plus a list of personal favorites that, I like for instance, Jack hadn't seen Edge of Tomorrow, I really enjoy that movie, and so that made it onto the list. Cocktail is on the list. Jack has seen a grievously few number of Tom Cruise movies and yeah, he's a crazy weirdo, but you know what? He makes fun movies cocktails not good, but it's it's bad in a fun way So uh, I I put that on the list along with some other Tom Cruise gems um, So we pick three from 250 movies <coughs> And then we allow a personal veto from the three for any reason Other than, I don't want to. Uh... Yeah, I don't want to is not a good reason. But, for instance, we rolled The Pianist the first week of quarantine. And I didn't really feel like watching a Holocaust film while there was a pandemic on. It's not exactly a Holocaust film, but... um, Not really the jam I was looking for at the time. So, we ended up re-rolling that. This time we rolled Demon Knight. A movie Jack has seen that he wants me to see. Greece and the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I thought was a fascinating, completely random roll from the list. Two horror-related films and two musicals. And the movie we watched was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I had never seen it before, and Jack hadn't seen it s- since he was a kid. Now look, Rocky is a special kind of monster. Uh, the definitive cult movie, and I know all about the Participatory culture that exists around it dressing up and going to a midnight screaming screaming ah I hope they call it that I vaguely remember one of my older sisters dressing up in bandages as a Tank Rocky and going to see um, one of the screenings when we were teenagers But whenever Jack and I watch one of the movies on our list uh our list of shame we try to account for but don't really have a great way of totally understanding context for instance we watched some like it hot and i really struggled to get into the movie but reflecting on it later i think some of my struggles related to the fact that it was from a genre um that we don't see a lot of anymore which is farce and so the conventions of it used felt very foreign to me. Um, Jack and I had a conversation early on about whether or not we would look for context before we watch one of the films or after, and we both decided it was uh, in the long run going to be a more interesting experience if we go in cold, uh, for the sake of you know plot twists and the way the story evolves and and experiencing that and then reading about it after the fact, which we always do. Rather than, um, you know, risking spoiling things for ourselves or or whatever, I think it's I, I think it's one of the interesting aspects of this project is consuming a piece of media through an entirely modern lens and seeing what comes of it. And with Rocky, I felt like,, uh, I was watching an ancient opera being performed in a language I don't speak. It was, so bizarre and foreign to me that when Jack turned to me after uh, after it was over and, and asked the inevitable, well, what did you think of it? I'm not doing his Australian accent. I just sat in stunned silence for five minutes while well, he's laughing at me, just unable to form words. I think um, from the movie, I may have come to understand the differences between the words weird and bizarre weird is not an appropriate term for rocky bizarre is spot on bizarre implies a certain amount of unknowability that weird does not but sum up i think i liked it i have a yardstick for certain films that goes if i'm still thinking about the film the next day for reasons other than shock value, um, then it was interesting enough to say I appreciated it. And um, that kind of removes just the simple binary measure of good-bad when talking about something I've watched. Um, And I definitely was thinking about Rocky the next day, and I don't think it was purely for shock value. So if you've never seen it, Rocky Horror Picture Show is a musical that initially feels uh, flavored in the same vein of Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, musical playing with B-movie horror tropes. Uh, Janet and Brad are a couple out on a drive. When they get a flat in the rain, they set out to find a phone and end up at the castle of Dr. Frank and Furter, a horny transvestite from the planet Transsexual who can create life from nothing. I think that was it. What was it about? There might be aliens. Um... It was a lot. Um, unlike the super catchy music of Little Shop Shop of Horrors, very pop driven, Rocky is steeped in glam era seventies British pop culture, hybridized with like fifties rock and seventies punk rock. Um, there are big thing theme- themes of androgyny all over the place at one point dr Frankenfurter seduces and has sex with both Janet and Brad uh, one at a time. I think Here's the thing. I Know the film is treasure to a lot of people So I'm just going to own my total inability to form any coherent thoughts about it and not really try um, There's just too much. I'm unfamiliar with and then is not in my wheelhouse the film for instance, is a celebration of camp. Which means that I, a self-professed disliker of camp, I've downgraded myself from hater over the years, I'm not a good person to talk about the movie. I more or less just let it wash over me in a torrent of sound and lipstick and torn fishnets. So we'll just go a little free association. I was struck to realize that of the ten films that Jack and I have now watched, the two most memorable characters in all of them for me have been Atticus Finch and Frankenfurter. Holy hell! What? Tim Curry… I… He was… He… He's incredible. Mostly, I felt like everyone on screen was doing a self-aware kind of B-movie, schlock, meta-parody performance of their characters, especially Brad and Janet, Um, but not Tim Curry. He was uh, incredible. The character was alive, there was a confidence of speech, fluidity of motion. He wasn't playing a trope. He was creating something that I've never seen before and that uh, character felt real and and like something you're sitting in the theater witnessing. Uh, so good. Um, everything he did had that precision of incredible choreography. Ballet, where there isn't a wasted motion and every motion enhances the expression of character. The twitch of the eye, the shape of the mouth, movement of the hand. He was stunning. And I have to admit, um, where I felt kind of fatigued in a lot of the other stuff, that not being a fan of horror or any of the music from this period, um, anytime Curry was on stage, I was just captivated. Amazing hair, amazing legs, amazing everything. Now that my expectations have been properly calibrated, I kind of want to watch it again just for him. But if I do... I kind of want to watch it in the proper social setting at a midnight show, so it's going to be a little while. Um, The other thing the film left me thinking about was queer representation in media. Uh, My lack of familiarity with the time period means inevitably I'm going to be thinking too much into this and making uneducated guesses. So I say that up front as acknowledgement. But um, as someone who grew up in the conservative nineteen eighties, it's shocking to me that the film was released in nineteen seventy five. I mean, the the phenomenal amounts of cross dressing aside, there's a point in the movie where Frankenfurter has sex with Janet and blows Brad. I mean it's done in silhouette, of course, but yeah, it was <laughs> There's a whole lot of oral. Um, I feel like that kind of thing would have been unheard of stateside in the 80s. If I remember the origin of the barrier your trope, part of it sprung out of the need to satisfy American censors by making any inclusion of homosexuality cautionary. So you could have a gay character in your story as long as one of them died which created this ugly legacy. Um, and again, I'm probably, that is a, a uh, not a wonderful summation of uh, uh, the barrier gay trope. I'll include a video in the show notes from The Verge, I believe, that does a much better job. But um, that created this ugly legacy that creators are still walking into today, as with Seeing Red, good intention creators, um, not knowing the full history of uh representation and accidentally duplicating these kind of i'm not even kind of just these awful um yeah so um i posted a a tweet on twitter about uh, twitter twitter uh, a tweet on twitter that's kind of hard to say Uh, about the themes of Rocky. Uh, Just trying to be cute. And someone responded saying the movie had some cautionary themes about libido out of control. And maybe... Frankenfurter was intended to be a cautionary tale. He does die at the end. Spoiler for a 1975 movie. But it isn't really a traditional fulfillment of the barrier gaze trope that I know of, but maybe it still counts. Still... Tim Curry is so the most confident, awesome, captivating character in the movie that it didn't really come off to me as a fulfillment of that at all. Um, and of course, they're they, they were the movie is a version of a musical that um, started in the UK, so uh, most of the cast is, uh, as I understand it from. Uh, the UK stage show, other than the two Americans, of course. Anyway, um, maybe the inevitability of watching these things through a modern, maybe this is all the inevitability of watching these things through a modern lens. Uh, Jack and I watched Some Like It Hot, which was released in 1959, and I, I don't remember if I talked about it on the podcast, but in the movie, uh, Jack Lemmon and Tony, Tony Curtis hide from the mob by dressing as women in a traveling band i believe it was and at one point jack lemon has to wing man or wing woman for tony curtis by going on a date as a woman with a rich older gentleman i don't remember his name we'll call him michael and the next day jack lemon is overcome by the romance of the date we danced he proposed it was so magical i was happy and that's the joke of course that he forgets that he's not a woman or that that this is all a deception and gets swept up in the romance of uh, the scene but through a modern lens I Found it was kind of one of my favorite parts in the movie. It was so sweet And at the end of the movie Lemon is in drag sitting with the older gentleman Michael trying to convince the man that uh, He isn't the right kind of girl for him and uh, the old man says, that's okay, uh, the, Jack Lemon says, I, uh, I snore. And the old man says, uh, that's okay, I, I'll wear earplugs. And finally, Jack Lemon pulls off his wig and says, oh, damn it, Michael, I'm a man. And Michael says, well, nobody's perfect. And I was watching with Jack and Audrey. All three of us clutched our chests and went, oh, he just wants love. To us, watching, that felt blindingly progressive for 1959. He he just wants to be loved. He doesn't even Watching it now, the old man didn't feel like the butt of the joke. Uh, His chemistry with Jack Lemmon uh, just felt really good. And you watch the movie and think, why the hell not? Still, I can accept that maybe I'm incapable of getting the context of that joke as it was originally intended maybe in 1959 the older man was i don't know um but it's hard to watch rocky horror and not feel like frankenfurter isn't the one having the most fun in the movie he's the most fun the most joyful the one happiest being himself and not in a joker supervillain kind of way but in a Everyone else just needs to loosen the hell up, kind of way. And if you're a conservative American censor, Rocky Horror feels culturally celebratory. It's just a lot of fun. Um, and I loved it. I I loved it for that reason. Um, I mean, God, Tim Curry's so good in it. But that celebration, that that uh. I don't remember that being around in the 80s in the US. There's always pendulum swings in culture, and some of the the party all night of the 70s probably experienced a corresponding Reagan-era conservative adjustment in the 80s. I put it this way, uh, Rocky to me seems like a product of a culture on a particular trajectory and that trajectory f- looks mostly absent in the 80s. And I was wondering how that all went down. I know the AIDS epidemic came along and there was a fresh bout of gay panic and discrimination in this country. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And again, I I, I, I own my lack of familiarity with the history um, of the time to really know what happened to Frankenfurter and Ziggy Stardust and and all of that. Uh when we when we went to the New Kids era. I shouldn't blame the New Kids. It's not their fault. Thinking about the path of representation made me really want to read more about its history. Um, but here we are. So, Rocky Horror Picture. I can say that I really definitely watched it. Um, sorry, I don't have more coherent thoughts to offer on that one. All right. Goals for this week. Um... I mean, there's a list, but they are all mostly uh, they all mostly relate to the same thing, which is carving out slots in the day to do all of them while still keeping the stone of the next video for the channel moving and getting this podcast done. Um, checking our record time. Oh, we're good. Tomorrow, I'm going to be finishing up the live tweet session for Shindig, and on the daily, I want to keep up 30 minutes of reading, two or three runs this week, a message day on the dating webs. Touch the budget every day, an hour a day on the novel, and 15 minute meditation sessions. Quitting drinking feels pretty easy right now, but I think it's at least partially because my anxiety is down at the moment. I think we've all started to make the adjustment. I uh, have become better at staying off social media and um, not fanning the flames of my anxiety, um, but that will not always be the case, as we were talking about. You know. There, uh, there always cometh a new event um, that is going to stoke those fires. So it behooves me to work on the anti-anxiety coping habits now um, so that they can be employed later on down the line. Hopefully that makes some sense. Oh, as ever, I keep forgetting to switch the visual aids for the web portion. Sorry about that. Rocky Horror Picture Show. All right. Um, before I get into the fanfic, I just want to let you know I'm at Ian Nitram on Twitter and on YouTube.com slash Passion of the Nerd. If you'd like to support the channel and keep me zen with f- fuzzy slippers and comforting mantras, you can do so at Patreon.com slash Passion of the Nerd or by grabbing yourself something from Passion of the Nerd.com slash store. We haven't added anything in quite a while, new designs or anything like that. If there's something you would like to see, leave a comment, let me know. If you're an Amazon Prime member, you may not realize this, but you can support me for free by using your monthly Amazon Prime Twitch subscription. I did not get a stream in last week, uh, like I'd hoped, but um, mostly the week was taken up by moving into this new office and moaning on the ground with muscle fatigue. But now that I have this big, beautiful space, um, I'd love to do some VR this week, like Half Life Alex, at twitch.tv slash the passion of the nerd. All righty. Um, and now let's go ahead and do some reading. So we are on chapter 16 of Here Is Gone by Terry Boda. I've called this Scooby meeting to talk about our favorite blood-sucking, pain-in-the-ass Spike," Buffy addressed the group in the magic box. She, Tara, Willow, Xander, Anya, and Giles were all gathered around the reading table in the shop. The recent events had convinced her that something was up with Spike. With her mom so sick and the threat of glory looming over them, she couldn't take any more strain. While she would have liked to believe that Spike's Seeming change of heart was genuine, she knew better. Spike was a soulless demon, unable to love and incapable of doing good. His recent behavior opened old wounds earned during her time with Angel, wounds caused by her ill-fated love affair with a demon. She could not repeat her previous mistakes. Joyce and Dawn adored Spike, and he was making progress in winning over her friends. But she couldn't afford the luxury of forgetting what he was. To do so could mean the death of them all. So if she could not bring herself to see him as anything other than a serial killer in prison, then she had no choice but to conclude that he had some hidden agenda for being so helpful. With so much at stake, her mom, her sister, her friends, she had no patience for unexpected variables. If the bleached wonder knew something, he was going to give over, even if she had to drag it out of him by his insides. I think he knows something that he isn't telling us. He's been around an awful lot lately, and it seems like he's been in all the right places at the right times. I don't think it's a coincidence, she continued. Giles cleaned his glasses, his face pensive. I will admit that his presence has been rather fortuitous as of late. Exactly, he knew about the space demon, and I'm pretty sure he knew about the snake. We know he knew about the spell of Unseeing Terra cast. He's been patrolling, hanging around my mom and Dawn, and behaving like a guard dog for the past four weeks, and it's giving me the creeps. He's up to something, and that can't be of the good. Terra, concerned by the look in Buffy's eyes and the general looks of wariness on the others, felt compelled to speak up in Spike's defense. She knew that something had profoundly changed the vampire. His aura was completely different, and she strongly suggested that he had a soul, but she wasn't sure. She would need Willow's help to ascertain that, and she knew from Spike's reaction to her questioning looks that he didn't want anyone to know. Still, she was certain that his motivations were normal. Still, she was certain that his motivations were noble. I, I... I... I don't think he means us any harm, she stuttered. I mean, everything he's done so far has been to help us. Buffy and Willow gave her sympathetic looks, and Buffy had to harden her heart at the sight of Tara's earnest face. She hadn't known Spike during the time of Angelus or lived through the terror of those months. Tara couldn't know Spike's true evil nature because she'd never seen it. Terra, baby, I know you haven't been with us all that long, but Spike's plotted against us before, Willow said gently. I know about, about what he, he he did with Adam, she argued, slightly miffed. What I'm I'm saying is that I, I, I don't think his motivations are, are are evil here. He's a demon, Terra. His motivations are always evil, Xander countered. But but he's helped us before, she pressed. "While Spike has been useful to us in the past, he's still a demon, Tara," Giles explained. "As a demon, he is not capable of unselfish acts. Every time he has helped us, ultimately it has been revealed that his reasons were self-serving in some manner." Tara was convinced they were wrong, but afraid to tell them why. She had seen the look on Spike's face the night he stood with them against her family. He knew that she could see... he knew that she could see through his facade, and had been afraid. Whatever his secrets, they weren't hers to reveal, and she wasn't about to break his confidence. But, but how can his helping us now be self-serving? His ultimate agenda may ha- yet to be revealed. Giles answered, "Unless he's working with Glory." Buffy said, "It was a stretch, but it was possible." No, Tara denied. I, I, I can't believe that. "'Everything he's done has been to help us fight Glory, "'even when he was working with Adam "'and pretending to be working with us. "'It was obvious that he had ulterior motives.'" Willow, surprised and concerned by her lover's vehemence and inclined to trust Tara's intuition, tried to find a reasonable explanation. "'Maybe he isn't working with her, but, uh, "'but I don't think we can deny that he knows what's going on. "'Maybe he has some kind of inside information.'" Giles nodded. He does seem to have quite a few contacts in the demon world, perhaps one of them is feeding him information which he is using to help us, Tara pointed out. However he knows what he, however he knows what he knows, I'm convinced he knows about Dawn and about Glory, Buffy interrupted. I also think he knew about Mom. You did say that he was awfully vehement about taking your mother back to the hospital for a cat scan, Giles noted. Buffy nodded, a lump forming in her throat. I I think he knew about the tumor. And kept trying to get her back to the doctor, Tara insisted. The others gave her impatient looks, and she wilted in upon herself, feeling rejected and outcast. I think he may know what is going to happen, and we need to find out what he knows, Buffy declared, an angry glint in her eye. She'd had enough. There was no room in her heart for doubts or sympathy for the undead. Too much was on the line. Her mother and sister's lives were at stake, and she wasn't going to let them down. "'And how he knows it?' Anya piped in. "'Exactly,' Buffy agreed. Willow, seeing Tara's hurt look, tried to placate her. "'We we could do a spell, uh, a truth spell, to see what he knows. That way he can't lie to us.' Buffy nodded. "'I've asked him to come here tonight. He should be arriving any time now.' Willow moved to stand. Do do you want us to get the spell ready? Buffy shook her head. Not yet. I want to see what I can get out of him without the spell. Then we can compare the two stories we get and try and figure out the truth. How do you intend to get him to talk to you? Giles questioned. A knowing smirk came to Buffy's face and she clenched one of her fists. How else? Demons respond very well to pain. But Buffy, Spike can't fight back, Tara said, concerned. She had seen Buffy use violence to vent her frustration and feared for Spike if he fell into grieving if he fell into the grieving slayer's sights. Don't worry, I won't hurt him too much. He still has to be able to talk. She had no qualms about beating information out of Spike. She'd done it many times before, but lately he looked so wounded when she heard him. Her heart twinged, but she pushed it aside. Soulless demons couldn't feel, so it wouldn't matter if what she did to him caused him pain. The very fact that she was having such thoughts made her angry, angry at herself and angry at Spike for making her doubt everything she'd ever been taught. It looked like Tara was going to protest, but the door opened and the subject of their conversation entered. He walked briskly over to them, all business and concern, and her heart ached for him. All right, I'm here. What's your news? In the training room, I need to talk to you, Buffy answered. Without hesitation, Spike nodded and headed for the back room. Tara didn't look like the look in Buffy's eyes as she w- Tara didn't like the look in Buffy's eyes as she watched him go. Then the Slayer turned to her and Willow gave them a knowing nod. Tara swallowed the lump in her throat as she and Willow rose to prepare the truth spell. She flinched when she heard the closing of the training room door. Alright, we'll do another chapter. (laughs) Chapter 17 Okay, Slayer, Spike said, taking off his coat and turning to face Buffy as she joined him in the training room and closed the door. What did you need to talk to me about? The blow came from nowhere and knocked him straight across the floor. The duster fell from his hand, landing in a crumpled heap. "'Buffy, what the—' He tried, struggling to catch his breath and sit up, but her foot slammed him back down and pinned his chest to the floor. "'What do you know?' she demanded. "'What?' He was shocked, confused, and cut to the quick that she had hit him again after he had been so good and helpful. "'I know you know about Glory. You're going to tell me what, how, and when.' His stubborn streak kicked in, and he gritted his teeth, growling. "'I don't know what you're talking about.' Her face hardened, eyes two glittering flints of glass." Wrong answer. She kicked him, snapping his head back and breaking his nose. Blood flowed freely down his face, but the pain went deeper than that into his soul. Let's try this again. How do you know Glory, and what do you know about her? He tried to defend himself against the next blow, but the chip fired when he raised his arm against her. He screamed as the pain hit from the chip and her kick. Poor Spikey. It's your own fault. Just tell me what I want to know, she taunted. He glared at her, nearly blind with the pain, and set his jaw defiantly. Sot off, bitch. She tisked and shook her head. I see you're going to make me get nasty with you. Oh well. I tried to be nice. Gonna have to sweep the floor with you, she sing-songed, her eyes glittering. And if I break your back again, oh well, bonus. She kicked him in the stomach and he howled but refused to give in. Instead, he curled in on himself, retreating into his mind the way he had whenever Angelus beat him. Every blow she dealt made his soul shrivel, and he came to an awful realization. She's always been this way. It wasn't because she came back from the dead. She's always enjoyed causing demons pain. It's retribution for destroying her normal life. She's scared and hurting. Her mom's sick. Her sister isn't real. She's got a hell god on her heels. She's at the end of her rope. And she's taking it out on me. She's always taking it out on us. Just like I go out and kill when I'm feeling poorly. His head spun as she grabbed him and threw him him across the room. Not from the blows that rained rage and retribution on him, but from the realization of the futility of it all. No matter what he did, he would never be able to convince her that he had changed. Not if he didn't tell her about the soul, and even then she wouldn't believe that it was the soul that made him good. She had been force-fed the belief that only those with souls could be noble and fight the good fight, and she clung to it even when she had numerous examples that proved the opposite was true. She clung to it with the desperation of a zealot who sees his entire belief system crumbling around him like a house of cards. She clings to it because she needs to believe it. Because if demons can love, then it means Angel could have loved her without the soul. But he didn't. She doesn't understand that he did love her. That was why he hated her so much. And she hates herself for loving him. For falling for a demon because it made her a bad girl. She's the slayer. She's supposed to be a warrior of light. But she's done dark things. And she liked them. Tell me what I want to know. What do you know about Glory? What do you know about my mother? Why are you trying to get in good with her and with me? And she knows it. She knows she's got darkness inside of her. That she's attracted to it. Attracted to me. The thought brought all new epiphanies to him. She's already attracted to me. And she hates it. Hates me for it. She wants to see me evil. Defeated. Because then she's vindicated. She's punishing me for how she feels. It's not about me. His wrist broke and several ribs cracked as she smashed him against the vault horse, screaming at him. He raised his eyes to her and part of him died all over again. Nothing. Nothing I can do will make any difference. I'll never do anything. I'll never be anything but a soulless, evil thing to you. Why did I ever hope? I could make amends." "'What do you know about my mother?' she seethed." He managed a crooked smile before she bashed his face and sent him crashing hard to the floor again. He didn't try and fight. "'Go ahead, Gurley, Do your worst. I've been tortured by blokes much better than you that couldn't break me. I've survived a hell god and my own grandsire. Your little tantrum's nothing compared to them. There's nothing you can do to me that hasn't already been done. Except stake me, and at this point I don't give a damn if you do. He heard her still screaming, felt her land more blows, but he was losing consciousness and everything seemed so far away. He let himself fall into despair. He was there, quiet in his pain, both physical and emotional, when he heard the training room door open and several gasps. Oh dear God, Giles' voice breathed. Then Buffy's incoherent blows ceased and hurried footsteps made their way to his side. He recognized Tara and Willow's sense before they even reached him. Both of his eyes were swollen shut, so he had to rely on his sharp hearing to tell him what was going on. Spike! Oh god, Willow, he's covered in blood, Tara's voice said, hitching on choked breaths. There's a a first aid kit by the wall. I'll, I'll get it, the witch announced, and he heard her leave his side. Somewhere nearby, Xander and Giles were talking quietly as Buffy sobbed. He he wouldn't tell me, and I... He heard her admit, her voice thick and trembling. Giles then asked Xander to take her out of the training room. Shortly thereafter, he heard the Watcher join Tara. He's all broken, Mr. Giles. Yes, I can see that, Tara. However, since he is not dust, we can assume that he is still with us. Barely. He managed to croak through bloodied lips. Willow returned with the first aid kit. He heard her open it and spill out the contents. Willow, I doubt that will be helpful. Spike's injuries are extensive, Giles said. We could do a healing spell, Tara offered. Work, work, Glinda, he whispered. No living flesh. Won't work, Glinda, he whispered. No living flesh. A a pain spell, then? Willow amended. He gave a slight nod. Might work. Uh, uh, okay, I'll get the stuff, Willow agreed, and he heard her leave. There was silence for a short time, and he concentrated on quelling the, pl- the pain and listening to the breathing of the two mortals next to him. Terra was c- crying softly, and he could smell the salt of her tears. Don't cry, Glinda, he told her faintly. Old Spike, it will be fine. Takes more than a slave's t- temper tantrum to do me in. He heard her laugh softly. You, you called me Glinda. That's what you are, isn't it? The good witch. She didn't reply as Willow came back in. He heard the jingling of the spell components and a second set of footsteps. Oh, man, you are so trashed, Xander's voice said. Gee man is he going to be okay? Yes, I believe so, Giles replied. Where is Buffy? Sitting at the table, Anya's with her. She look, She looks pretty sick. "'Yes, well, I'll get to her in a minute. For now, I have other matters to deal with,' Giles answered tersely. and Spike was certain, he detected a note of disapproval in his voice. "'Do you need my help?' "'Not yet. Willow and Tara are going to cast a pain-blocking spell so she can set his bones and move him. I'll need your help carrying him.' "'We're almost ready, Giles,' Willow announced. Spike heard Xander come close. "'Geez, man, why didn't you just tell her what she wanted to know?' Bitch can fuck off, he thought to himself, but answered, don't respond well to pain. The witches cast their spell. He could feel the fine powder that they had prepared sprinkling down his face. As soon as they finished their incantation, the pain eased considerably, and he relaxed. Is that better? Willow asked. Yeah, made it tolerable. Thanks, ducks. Here, help help me arrange his, his limbs. We need to set the broken bones before they start to heal, Giles said. Spike felt several pairs of hands on him, realigning and strengthening his bones, and he was touched by their gentleness with him. Maybe I do have a chance with them, after all. Spike, do you have full feeling throughout your entire body? The Watcher asked. If you're asking if she broke my back, Rupert, the answer's no. Well, thank God for for small favors. At least you aren't looking at an extended recovery time. A week at least, he predicted. Xander, bring my car around back. We'll take him out through the alley door, Giles decided. Spike heard Xander give a grunt of agreement and the jingle of keys as Giles passed them over. Will he be okay in his crypt? Willow asked worriedly. We're not taking him there, Giles responded. Oh, you're not, he said confused. No. No. As much as I hate to admit it, you would be too vulnerable there. No, I'm afraid I have no choice but to bring you to my place during your convalescence," the Watcher replied, then gave orders to the two witches. There's a set of tent poles and poles and a canvas in the basement. We can make a stretcher out of it and move him more easily. Would you get it for me, please?" Right away, Giles," Willow agreed, and Spike listened to them leave. He was getting tired, struggling to stay conscious now that the pain had eased but there was one more thing left to do. He waited until he knew they were out of earshot before addressing Giles. Her scent, he admitted, even though it was a lie. Well, not really. He had smelled something before. He had smelled something wrong with Joyce, but before he hadn't spent enough time with her to pick up on it. I beg your pardon. Joyce's scent. So I knew. Big bad predator. could smell the sickness on her. Giles was silent for a moment, then said quietly, Yes. Yes, of course. His voice was tired, defeated, as if he felt he should have discerned that for himself, and was angry that he didn't... Rest now. You need to conserve your energy. Mind if I pass out, Ropes? No, not at all. It would probably be best if you were unconscious while we move you. Yeah, because I'm feeling just a bit knackered. I can't imagine why, Giles responded dryly. I can't either. He breathed softly, the darkness coming to take him. Hey, Rupert. Yes. Don't forget my coat. Dropped it somewhere when she hit me. I'll be sure to get it. Thanks. It was the last thing he said before he fainted. Oh! alrighty uh i want to read more but we're right at an hour so i think that's a good place to stop chapter 17 um i there have been some comments about the story on the um on the channel mentioning about how it seemed like it was spending a fair amount of time in um uh, events from season 5 that we were already already familiar with and that's true but uh, we just read chap that chapter I think we're that what was that chapter 17 there's 47 chapters and two epilogues <laughs> plenty to go and um, one of the really fun uh, exciting things about this one so far is how it is a departure from those events Um So I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm looking forward to next Monday. And I hope you are too. I forgot to write an outro today. So, you know, as we said uh, originally, we were supposed to be off the cuff. I don't know. Things for me are... things are good. You know, I think I talked uh, about a week or two ago about um, our human ability to normalize and adjust to anything, even things that we shouldn't be asked to and uh, certainly a pandemic feels like one of them, but um, as ever, just trying to focus on uh, the things I can manage and let the chips fall where they may. So hopefully you're doing the same, and um, I'll see you in a week. Go easy, please.